And another key key factor that was brought up for me one time was that America is one of the few places that judges um, the 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 standard by the success of a few exceptions. Welcome once again to Ingenious Perspectives. On this podcast, we aim to discuss issues that have loomed over the African-American experience for generations. It's our goal to discuss these issues, not just from our point of view, but from various research perspectives. We invite you to come expand your paradigms with us today. Um, Once again, I'm Dominic Speller, one half of Ingenious Perspectives. And with me as always... is Lawrence McCarran. All right. So uh, last episode, we got into we got deep into the weeds uh, as we ended our discussion on reparations. Um, and one of the big things that we talked about in our year two episode was actually going back and addressing the things that we promised to address. Um, when we have a big topic and we say, you know what, that's a topic for another time. Another time needs to happen. And um, we're going to make sure that that other time happens. So we'll get into that in just a second. But before that, we've got uh, we've got some interesting discussion topics that that uh, Lawrence is going to bring us so go right ahead yeah so like everyone else I'm scrolling through social media all right you know over my idle time instead of you know stopping you know global warming or ending the, the plagues and all that good stuff I'm you know scrolling on Instagram and uh, I see a post that just reminds me I'm not going to talk about the specific post I saw but why do we got to make up conspiracy theories well I I think conspiracy theories are so popular because you can't prove them, therefore you can't disprove them. Right? It's yeah. It's like a it's like a little mini religion because right the entire concept of it is that all right, I'm going to say this thing and obviously because I said this thing and it's a conspiracy, it's going to be so deep and interwoven that when you can't find information on it, I just say that's part of the conspiracy. The government doesn't want you to know. So right, they it, don't want you to know. Exactly. I saw an interesting. That's why you can't Google it. <laughs> that's that's why Google doesn't have any information on it. I saw an interesting one that uh, explained that in 2012 we actually entered into a parallel uh, universe or dimension that mirrors our own and is very similar but has small nuanced differences. It explained that um, 2012 was the same year we discovered the Higgs boson particle mm. and um, that was uh, believed by Stephen Hawking to lead to the development of a black hole and no one really knows it's on the other side of a black hole. So one of the possibilities is that it's not a nothingness on the other side, but it's just a mirror of our universe. And the writer pointed to uh, Mandela effects. And um, his theory was that Mandela effects aren't because of a incorrect memory. Mandela effects are because prior to 2012, the world was different. So whereas, whereas we remember the Berenstain bears, but everyone says it's the Berenstain bears. And it's not because we're wrong. It's because we're in this mirror universe where something is slightly different. It's like a Shaq movie. Right. Right. He also pointed to the fact (laughs) that that, (laughs) he also pointed to the fact that, uh, that there is a, like the, Statue of Liberty is currently on Liberty Island, but everyone remembers it being on Ellis Island. And the reason for that is because this mirror universe has slight differences and we have memories from the old universe. Like you said, the Sinbad slash Shaq movie, even though the Sinbad movie never happened, we all remember a Sinbad movie. And that's part of the the mirror of the new universe. And you right? know what? The Sinbad movie, I saw a post one time, and this is my, my own conspiracy theory uh, thing. I saw a post that showed a video cover of that VHS, and I knew it. I knew that <laughs> thing was real. I was like, I, I remember uh, seeing that video and all of that. So, yeah. I mean, I can see that. But you know what? The conspiracy theories that uh, – so, so that, like, if you believed in that, what harm mm-hmm. is there, right? Like, it, there, there's no real harm in it. It just, it would just say that you believe in a universe that's more infinite than the one that most people believe in, um, which I don't think is a is a negative anyway. Um, I think it would be, I think it would be a bit foolish to believe that we are the be all end all of intelligent life that exists in the in the universe. Um, 
I, I can't endorse that. I don't know if that's like, I think the biggest reason that people detract from that is because it might go against their religious beliefs. I can't think of, I can't think of anything, um, like if we're, if you're talking specifically about the Bible and it talks about how he's, you know, created everything, um, then that theory that he made this, right. It doesn't really say he didn't make anything else, but it also yeah, doesn't say I, I that he. Yeah, I don't follow that one. Right, so that's I think I think that's the biggest difficulty about intelligent life elsewhere is that it can be misconstrued as a detraction against religion, and it's not. I, I really don't see it as that. I mean, I'm not super religious anyway, but I don't really see it as that. Yeah, I can't follow the breadcrumbs on, uh, on the exclusion of outside stuff because you know if you look in the Bible, you don't see airplanes anywhere in there at all. <laughs> uh, but I see a lot of them, and I don't not believe them because they're not in there, and yeah, and they're not you know they're not mutually exclusive. You can believe both, uh, but so it's not the ones like that one where like you know they have no harm no foul. Yeah, it's the ones that like hey, if you sign yourself up to be an organ donor, you're targeting yourself for organ trafficking. That's hmm. the conspiracy series that that literally set me off a little bit because there are people out there who are waiting for organs and because your auntie cousin so-and-so told you one time that if you register yourself as an organ donor they're going to intentionally i don't know fill in the blank and somehow you're going to get organ harvested Mm. yeah that's that's an interesting one um i i heard i heard similar to that not quite organ harvesting against your will the conspiracy theory i heard when i was younger was that uh doctors will be more inclined to let you go on the table if you are listed as an organ donor and your organs seem to be in good condition that was the conspiracy theory i heard when i was younger that that makes it seem like because like what's the benefit to the doctor um does he get I, the kickbacks from the organs like i don't know <laughs> i don't you know those are the those are the questions you can't ask but i'll tell you one conspiracy theory that i fully support and I, at this point i don't even believe it's a conspiracy theory i believe it is fully rooted in facts um and that is that if you are feeling sick ginger ale saltine vicks vapor rub and price is right will cause immediate healing by the end of the day now I haven't tested it without Bob Barker because I haven't had that like super sickness since Drew Carey started hosting. So I don't know if it still has the same effect, but I, I uh, doubt it will be. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a proven remedy. It's not even conspiracy anymore. If you if you throw on take off the last part, you throw on some reading rainbow. I, I'm, oh, I'm gonna, wow. I'm going to say that's what? a miracle cure. You know, Reading Rainbow, Reading Rainbow is one of the most underrated shows. They always talk about how much um, Fred Rogers did for our childhood. But, like, let's give LeVar, LeVar Burton some credit, man. That dude. Oh, my god. That goodness. man is a national treasure. He not only not only did he influence my nerd culture, he influenced my intellectual culture. Like, Jordy LaForge and Reading Rainbow. Come on. Come on. Yeah. The, and, the, and at a time at a time where there weren't a whole lot of blacks in sci-fi. Right, Joy LaForge. He's amazing. the chief engineer. Exact. Come on, talk about it. He's talk the about one, it. You, bro, you have a literal android in an encyclopedia of human knowledge on board. And who does the captain call when he needs some technical shit figured out? It's not Jordy, the android. Jordy, Jordy motherfucking Cyclops, LaForge. motherfucking LaForge. <laughs> if you ain't took your mama headband and put it in front of your eyes, acting like you was Jordy LaForge, oh where were goodness. you? Oh my goodness! Stop it! <laughs> oh, love Jordy LaForge. Love it. Love that it. Man. Love it. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> all right. And they all always right. try okay. to give him eyes in the uh, in the movies and stuff. That, yeah. There was mm. there was the one time when um when the lieutenant lieutenant striker got his like magic powers I can't remember the details from that episode or movie but like he ended up with some kind of like uh special abilities a magical entity and he like healed Jordy's eyes so he could see and Jordy was um, like nah there was some falling out but by it and like at some point Jordy's like look man you know I can appreciate that you're like this higher level being now but man like. I am who I am and I'm comfortable with it. Like, you know, give me back my visor, son. 
And I was like, oh, Jordy, because I've been wearing glasses since I was four. Come on. So that, so that was like, that was a, Jordy LaForge and Cyclops were major heroes for me growing up because sure. they were superheroes with glasses. And I was like, you know what? I fucks with them. Yo, so you telling me you was watching Star Trek and Jordy turned to the screen and said, Dominique, you are right just the way God made you. You are right just the <laughs> way that conspiracy theory made you. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Loved it, man. Loved it. That's a great segue, though. Talking about being all right with what a lot of people would call a deficiency, right? Into what we're talking about today. Like, hands down, if you were to wave a magic wand before you're born and someone was to ask you, hey, what color you want to be when you come out of the womb? You're going to be born in America, going to be born in 1956. What color you want to be? So, so before we hit that, why don't you give us a recap on the the story that brought us to this point? The the story from Serenity that you talked about with the assassin. Give us a give us a short yeah. recap on that, and let's let's get into it from there. So, uh, movie Serenity, good guy, bad guy, struggle, right? Uh, the bad guy who's an assassin, you know, does terrible things for a cause. He believes in this cause. The cause is, you know, ultimately through his terrible actions, uh, you know good thing or bad things for the right reasons he's going to create a utopia one day um and at one point in the uh you know in the climax of the movie you know the good guy goes hey you know who do you think you are you're not better than me and the bad guy you know he goes of course not you know i'm not better than you and he's like you know i'm going to make this utopia good guy goes you know are you you know you you're not going to be able to live in that utopia doing all the bad you've done and the bad guy goes of course not I'm I'm evil. I could never live there. You know, I could never be there, but I believe in it so much that hopefully we can get there. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, our identities as, you know, black people in America, what our culture is so much ingrained in the struggle of being black in America, that if you took away that struggle, if you wave you if we got to equality, we we still have black culture. Yeah, so yeah, this is, I think that's where where we ended up at. Where you know, just kind of talking, you know, do you still have black culture without the struggle? And and I, I think you still have culture, but I don't think you have black culture. I don't think rap comes, you know, without. And I, you know, we talk about rap. Rap is not like the best thing in the world. It's a good thing, some for the most part. But uh, you know, you don't have rap without the culture. I don't think you have the blues without the culture. You know, this and that's just music. There's a there's a lot of culture that's developed from pain um and i can't i can't remember what podcast i was listening to and i'll have to go back and try to find it but that was one of the discussions about the lack of culture of um some other societies because there's been no experience of pain of a lot of uh some some cultures so they don't have the development of of music, of art, of all these things that we have. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that I'm a, a genius when it comes to English, you know, culture, but if we look past, I don't know, maybe 1800, where's the like booming English art, art writers, like things like that, that stuff came from, we talk about one of the greatest English writer ever. You talk about Tolkien. He was writing during world war one. Right. When we talk about Shakespeare, we're talking about someone who was writing during a time when the monarchy was heavily oppressing the people. Like we, When you talk about those other cultures and, and the influence of the great, the great artists of those cultures, it, it comes from a place of pain. And I don't know that I don't I don't believe that we would have a lot of what we have without that. Um, but conversely, I'm OK sacrificing that, you know, I'd I'd be OK without it. If, if my trade-off was that um, in exchange for no Emmett Till, in exchange for uh, no, no murders of, of unarmed, innocent Blacks by those who are supposed to protect us, um, in exchange for a lack of, of wealth and pay gap, in exchange for right all these all, so many things that we could point to healthcare inequalities educational inequalities inequality of opportunity in exchange for that uh you guys have to give up jay-z and, and nas and kanye and common like that's fine 
it's you know that I'm okay with that you know because because that means that that when Common grew up in the south side of Chicago he wouldn't have been in some isolated black projects that had more crime and drugs than anywhere else simply because he was a young black man right that I'm good with that I'm t- I'm, I'm okay with that All right so I for for me it goes a little bit broader uh because I'm I th- when I think of uh, when I think about it, I don't think about today necessarily. I think I I don't think about today necessarily. Um, I think about tomorrow and like a theoretical tomorrow because if you go to the unity that we had, you know, the the hypothetical unity that we had. Because if you go back, I, I'm sure firsthand accounts and people who maybe lived those days will tell you there wasn't unity, but uh. You know, if you go back to the theoretical unity we had, I feel like if you were to craft that in an environment without the opposition that existed, you know, the sky is the limit to the culture. And but I don't I guess my question is, so most of most of black unity centers around equality. Yes. When you when you talk to uh to even current modern day uh, civil rights people, modern day members of NAACP or, or Black Lives Matter or the United Negro College Fund, even HBCUs, the existence of these things is because there needed to be a space where black people could be equal, where black people could receive the same opportunities as their white counterparts. It was it was a lack of equality that created a necessity of these various institutions, right, that, that we talk about. Without inequality, there is no need for an NAACP because all people are advanced and treated equally. Without inequality, there's no need for United Negro College Fund because blacks have the same opportunities for scholarships at colleges as everybody else. There is no need for Howard or Morehouse because blacks are openly accepted into white universities at the end of slavery. Like, sure, we have colleges. We would eventually have colleges where you could point to and be like, hey, that was the first college founded by a black person post-Civil uh, war, post War. You know, that's kind of a big deal. But there's no need to identify it separately as an HBCU. It was just, it just happens to be, hey, we were a nation, we had slavery, we understood it was wrong, but post-slavery, once, you know, everyone was accepted back into society, that was one of the first ones that was built. It's kind of a big deal, you know? Like, I I just, I don't see, I don't see that we even need a quote-unquote culture, because most of our culture stems from trying to hold ourselves up, right, as a people, trying to hold each other up um, to protect ourselves from, uh, from the pains and inequalities of society. And I, and I think that's what the value of, I mean, that's what we're all saying here is the value of our unique culture comes from that shared experience and that shared background. And if in, in, I think, yeah, I, rightly so, if you took all that shared struggle away, the culture would necessity be very different and it would be based on something else. Um, but I think if you hold it true that that history did happen, um, and then you still, you fix the equality thing, I don't think you throw away the culture, uh, now that you no longer quote need it, I think you still retain it and you use it for, for good. If you can't, I would, I would say it probably, I mean, I don't know how I, I guess I guess I somewhat agree, um, but I would say that it takes on such a different form that it's it's unrecognizable when compared to today's. The culture would be more one of um, uh, look how far we've come. The culture would be more one of uh, look at the look at the turn that America made. Look at how it realized its wrongs. Look at how we're now accepted members of society versus. Um, a culture of, hey, I, I'm black and I still have self worth. Like I should matter. Like we don't, we never hear the phrase "Black Lives Matter." Right. Like, I don't. I don't think we ever, we ever have that concept, right? And even if it's, I would say it's one of those things where, sure, um, we we could go back and point to slavery as a thing that happened, but. I, and again, this this could be a this could be a blind spot for me that maybe I just don't know enough. There was a time when white immigrants were discriminated against in New York, 
but that was like a thing that happened. I don't think that you go to New York today and see Irish and Italian descendants who are saying, hey, you know what? We should have more equality and we should be treated better. They know that it happened. They understand that their ancestors might have been mistreated when they first got here. But I don't think it's something that looms over them and weighs as heavily as slavery does on black culture. No, um, and, and even civil rights, right? And this, and we're talking about something that was far more recent for immigrants who came over from white European nations. So, yeah, I, I definitely see that because you're you're talking about something that happened, you know. And it, I mean, I guess one of the 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 biggest differences is that by and large, no one ignores, no one in power, at least, ignores the facts of that past trepidation and then the actions were taken to to fix it and remedy it in a very short period of time right then and there. And and I guess that, that line of thinking just kind of goes to talk about the difference between two groups of people, the suffering that two groups of people had. Um, and that's not really what we're driving at today. But I guess the main thing as far as the implications on the culture is that uh, assimilation was permitted for most of those, uh, you know, those white European um, subcultures as they came over to the United States uh, in a way that has never been permitted for, you know, black Americans. And I don't think ever will be because when you walk into a room, you know, yeah, someone can say, you know, you know, maybe that person has Irish descent, you know, but when you walk into a room, you know, I can think a few times and I've been working primarily with a lot of people who have Irish descent and things like that, you know, no one quickly identifies that, Hey, that's a, you know, that's an Irishman, you know, he's going to be celebrating, you know, St. Patty's day and, and want to go to, you know, whatever, you know, wear a kilt and all these other things that may be grossly associated with Irish culture. And I, and I'm, you know, sorry to Irish culture, if I just mixed up some stuff that wasn't supposed to be mixed up, but <laughs> a little but, bit, but I think they'll forgive you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, and I, but at the same time, when you walk into the room as a black man, it's very often that, uh, and you notice how I did the pronunciation, it's in black men, uh, <laughs> you walk into a room, people will associate you immediately with black culture and assume that you, you know, have a lot more similarities with black culture than you do with, quote, mainstream white culture, white American culture. I think, and I, I think my biggest problem with that is that the assumption of black culture is one of negativity. I think that's my biggest issue. It'd be yes. different if it'd be different if um the assumption of black culture just meant like my food yeah. I cook my food a little bit different. It'd be different if the assumption of black culture just meant that right, there there's these small nuanced differences of, you know, my culture historically from yours, but it's often one of assumed lack of intelligence. It's often one of assumed lack of decorum. It's often one, right, that, that just has a lot of negative stereotypes associated with it. And I think that's my biggest issue with the assumption of right, this this black culture right because i know what my culture is as a black man and it has far more to do it has as far less excuse me to do with right how i wear my clothes and like what i say or how i talk than a culture of right overcoming and strength and struggle and survival right and i just i don't know it bothers me and that's where i go i always go where i always go my safety zone that's where i go to institutions Every yeah. single time, because, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the impact, like the things that you, we associate with black culture here in 2021, the vast majority of those things are blown out of proportion by the market forces of non-black participants. So you look at, you look at the money in the hip hop industry. That's not because black people were just pouring all their money into hip hop. It's because white people have, you know, have sponsored that industry's growth from day one. And I'm not saying that again, rap is wrong. I'm just saying that the, the dominance of rap culture being, you know, basically synonymous with black culture is because the money influence has basically drowned out all the, uh, all the other aspects of black culture uh, as, as seen from the outside. Right. And, and as we, as we get into 2021, right. And we talk about this, the, as you know, we're moving our way into 2022. Um, it's it's fair to be noted. It's fair to note that rap culture is now 
becoming more influenced by the people who make the music and less influenced by the large white companies who were funneling money into it in the past, right? We now have more rappers who are in charge of what they what they create. We now have more artists in general who are maintaining themselves independent from large labels and putting out the music that they're comfortable with as opposed to putting out music that's been approved by uh, somebody behind a desk or, right, I don't know all the full details. Don't give me the lying, but... Um, Right. It's there's there's been more autonomy on the hand of art in the by the way of artists, um, as opposed to just the labels. But right. let's that, also note oh, go ahead. Ahead. I was gonna say in that that phenomenon is happening across all aspects of black culture. There are people there are people that look like us taking ownership in, you know, not just, you know, musically and movies taking ownership in uh business and other institutions that we frequent. In, in a way that we have never seen before. So I, I, I can see a future where the struggle for equality is gone, but we will still be a culturally distinct subgroup. Right, which brings us to a, a very, very important point in the show, right? Shout out to Megan Javon Ruth Pete, right? Who is creating the music that she wants to create, right? Unimpeded by the the thoughts and beliefs of society around her you know she wants to make what she wants to make and she's she's living her best life congratulations congratulations this round of applause there Um, congratulations all around yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) one one day she's gonna hear an episode bro one Mm -hmm. day one day and nothing is gonna come of it right it'll just be that she heard the episode and that'll be it but you know You know who I actually really want to get this in the air of is Tobey. Like, believe it or not, if I if I'm picking any one random celebrity who like I'm like, man, one day I hope he hears this podcast. He or she hears this podcast. It's actually Tobey. Believe it or not, that's really? my yeah yeah. That's Tell my us that's why. Um, so I, I won't say that everyone pours their heart and soul into music. So a lot of people have writers, or a lot of people are making something that's popular, right? But when I listen to his music, when I listen to what he says when I listen to his wife rapping, like I feel like he is pouring his actual beliefs into his music. And I, I agree with a lot of them. I support it. And I, I like what he has to say. So for me, someone who puts that much of themselves into their music and into their artistry, right. I want to, I, I really want to hear there. Cause that, that person has influence. Right. And obviously that's the entire goal of the podcast. It's like, if we get famous, that's cool and whatever. But the biggest goal is that the ideas that we're, that we're talking about, the ideas that, that we're putting out into the universe and into the world that they're talked about by more and more people. Because like we say, every episode, two people talking for an hour, isn't going to solve everything. But if you, you, if, if our listeners use this as their starting point, as their foundation, as a, as a starting block to push off and do more and have deeper discussions, right? More and more discussions. That's huge. And just based on, based on what he talks about and how he talks. And there are a lot of celebrities like that. He's just one of the ones that I, you know, that I want to listen. Dave Chappelle is another celebrity, right? Who clearly is focused on the empowerment of black culture. But for me, Tobey, that'd be dope. Absolutely. That, I mean, and, that, and that kind of brings me to something else that, you know, maybe like newsworthy here. Uh, but, you know, the Jay, uh, not Jay-Z, uh, the Dr. Dre lineup for the Super Bowl coming up. That is you know, huge. That is huge. That's big. Uh, and a lot of folks were questioning the moves that Jay-Z made as far as, uh, you know, partnering with the NFL to, to you know, help, you know, help change their perception you know, in, in the, in the wider community. Um, but this is the fruit, you know, of that. And and it's not just about, you know, those couple artists getting a check or whatnot, getting an opportunity on stage, you know, it's normalizing black culture. Yeah. While we're at it though, I also want to, um, send some hate toward the NFL, um, for there's something that exists in the NFL called the Rooney rule. And basically it requires that when there's a coaching position open, they have to interview at least one black candidate for that coaching position, but it hasn't really changed the hiring process or the faces of coaching in the NFL by and large. There are a few teams who, um, who have right made some advancements in diversity and inclusion within their coaching staff, 
But for the most part, the NFL has remained a predominantly white coached environment with very few black coaches, uh, very few black head coaches coming up to the plate. I, I, be- I believe currently we just have Mike Tomlin and uh, Lovey Smith. And, if and that's a... If he's still a head coach, I don't know if Lovey Smith is still in. That could have been a while ago. I, could, I think he might have gone to college now. That's a, um, a but that's beautiful... easy. To, that's easy to Google real quick. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's an easy like uh, case study and and the forces that you know affect you know representation because you know every one of those coaches you know have probably you know they have stellar. I'm, not, I'm talking about the all the coaches, not just the he, black or white ones. He's an associate head coach with the Houston Texans, so he is still in the NFL. Okay. Um, but, I mean, they all have great track records. And, you know, you could already, you know, make a argument, you know, on why I'm just going to pick a, a random coach out of a hat. Um, let's say uh, the the Patriots head coach um, that just lost on Sunday um, in, def- in uh, defeat. Uh yeah, you know, look at him. He has a great resume. There's a reason why he's a coach. And you can make that kind of argument for all of them. Uh, so and they would tell you, oh, there's no racism here. It's just because we got this great candidate. He's blah, 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 this and that. But those implicit biases that have to come in because you can't look at a league that's, what, 80-something percent oh, black? Wow. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. All right. As I'm doing the research, right, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up. So I'm going to read something from today uh the the um cbs whatever today the 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 news source okay here we go uh nfl's 32 teams blah 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 uh all right nfl 32 teams begin the full season this is from last year so from september of 2020 one year ago um they begin their season in full on sunday with only three black head coaches two black general managers in a league where the players are roughly 70 percent black um, of the five head coaching jobs that were open in the offseason, none went to black coaches and one went to a coach of color. That was Ron Rivera, um, who is Latino. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was by September of um, 2020. All right. And yeah. <laughs> when I look at the, the Wikipedia article, uh, you know, talking about it, now, you know, I'd love for our viewers to go take a look at this. Uh, someone decided that that a scout.com quote about a uh, recruiting analyst saying that I honestly think it's harder for a white wide receiver than it is a black quarterback to get recruited at a high level in this day and age. Uh, wow. Okay. That's a somehow relevant quote in the topic. But yeah, 70% of the league is black and then you only have you know a handful of representation at the owner's level. Or not the owner's, but the... It's- it's funny though, because that that happens all over the place. Uh, for example, right, uh, Newport News Shipyard. If you look at the worker makeup for hourly workers in Newport News Shipyard, and the the makeup of um, even foremans, and then you start to look at the higher senior management positions in Newport News Shipyard, uh, it's it's it doesn't uh the the math doesn't check out. Does doesn't not. check out. Does not. So how 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 do we pull from a pool of again Newport New Shipyard? I'm just making up numbers. I don't I don't even know how to research to find out the percentage of black employees they have. But how do we pull from a pool of I would say at at a minimum this is a a very conservative fail. We'll say 50 percent black hourly employees at Newport New Shipyard. Um, and we're pulling from this pool to create supervisors and pulling from that pool to create higher level supervisors and so on and so forth. How do we end up with like 90% white supervisors um, at the top? It's uh, through a distillation process. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. And I say that because, all right, I worked, I worked for, I worked for a company that was working with the shipyard and we were going to meetings um, with some shipyard senior execs while, you know, we're trying to get some stuff done. So the people I'm working with on the ground as I'm doing testing and, and trying to make sure everything works, I see a lot of black people. Every time I go to these meetings where the higher ups are discussing what uh, is most important and what needs to be done and blah, 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 I see two black people. It's like, wow, it's it's crazy. These meetings are, are a lot of people in these meetings. I would say 25 to 30 people in these meetings and I see two black people. And as I'm with the workers, I'm seeing 
maybe one to two white people. And it's like, wow, I wonder how did that, how do we flip that? Like, how did that? Who, riddle me who that Batman. <laughs> riddle me that Batman. And so it just occurs, it occurs everywhere, which circles right back around to what we were talking about. If we had actual equality within Black culture, within American society, we would not need a culture that's constantly pushing and fighting and saying, just treat us fairly. Like, we're not asking for preferential treatment. A lot of people have given up on the idea of reparations, which we discussed last episode. Like, it's a great idea. I think it would be wonderful. I, I personally believe it is something that is deserved as it is something that was promised. However, even without that, if we could just get like some real equality going forward, I think, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, all right, you know what? I still want the reparations, sir, but uh, you know, you, you're okay for now. You're okay. Yeah, the P, the PC response to that is that, you know, the political climate of the day just does not make that a political reality. Okay, uh, the, cool. the other there side of that <laughs> would sound something like, them motherfuckers are shooting us in the street. Mm-hmm. You think they're going to give us, you know, like that's what that sounds mm-hmm. like to some people. And, you know, not saying it's not all, all everybody or nothing like that, but it's the reality of American culture is that when you start discussing equality towards some groups, you get resentment. And then when you get resentment, you get things like Donald Trump elected to office and other reactionary politics. Like, and, and it's measurable. It's not even something, this is not even just, you know, hyper, um, hyperbole. This is measurable outcomes in the political sphere and historical framework of this country. Every from time. A, from a sociological perspective, I would argue that there must be a marginalized group in every society. Someone has to be. Whether you base it on race, religion, gender, uh, sexual orientation, whatever. There, there has to be a marginalized group within society in order to maintain our social strata. It is unfortunate, and and I, I wish that weren't the case. And I, I look forward to us trying to develop a society that doesn't require that type of social stratification. But somebody has to be at the bottom in order to create a top. There is no top without a bottom. If, and if and I, I guess that's, but that's the, uh, you know, that kind of breaks some of the ideas that America is built on. You know, America is built on, you know, well, it's actually built on, just, I'll set that aside right now. And just, <laughs> just talk about what the, some of the ideals, you know, and one of the core ideals is that, hey, if you work hard, you do hard, blah, 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 then, you know, great things will come to you. I And, and people say that to, in order to really say, hey, we're a meritocracy. Yeah, merit yeah. is what gets you to the top. You That's, deserve to be the top mm-hmm. if you're at the top. Hmm. And then interesting. And then retroactively, <laughs> this is and this is where the jump happens, right? If you're you deserve to be at the top, therefore you look at this stratified social strata, just like you said, and you look mm-hmm. at who's at the top, and you look at who's at the bottom. You think of all these reasons why they deserve to be at the top, and you think of all these reasons that they deserve to be at the bottom. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah. But the problem is that, uh, so it's funny, one of the, I I can't think of the the school, but there's an online school that talks about all the time how they have, um, maybe it's like University of Maryland Global Campus. They have a lot of commercials. Maybe it's them. And uh, at at the start of the commercial, there's a, a narrator and the quote is that while intelligence is equally distributed, opportunity is not and that just like every time i hear that it just it just messes with me a little bit it's just man like how what a simplistic and and simultaneously very complicated concept like what do we do with what do we do with that uh the answer for 98 (laughs) percent of the time is not a goddamn thing ignore it (laughs) (laughs) ignore it because those people with power, uh, and and it's it, it, when we talk about this, and I, I say this from somebody who has sat in the room uh, with those folks who are the target of this conversation. You know, when I say you know something, I say a statement like the people in power don't want it to change, right? You go up there and talk to them, and they go, "Hey, do you think those poor black babies should have the same opportunity as, as your kids?" And they they go, "Hell yeah!" You know, of course I want that to happen. Um, 
but then you ask the more specific question of, hey, do you think those poor black kids on the other side of town could get bust into your uh, to your school with your fifth grader? Ooh, that's where it's wow. like, oh, wait, hold on. Wait a second. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how about, about let's that. just focus on getting their school better Yeah, right over yep. there? Yeah. Um, and, yep. you know, I make a very, like, you know, a stark example of a policy, but that happens across thousands of different policy decisions across this entire nation, you know, all the time. And that's how 98% of the time the answer is nothing, you know, and, and for, to the, give them credit, you know, if I'm that parent of that fifth grader and I'm, I have through my hard work and inheritance gotten my kid into the, um, uh, a great school. And I think that someone else is a threat to that. Uh, you know, I, I can understand the reflex to say, no, I don't yeah, think that's right. Is it really through, is it really through our own hard work and opportunity or is it through a series of events that, so I say this, I, I was definitely uh, wholeheartedly and, and almost ashamedly so, um, one of the black people who believe that if I made it to where I've made it in life, anyone can make it there. Please let us emphasize that I said was, all right. Okay, like let's just go ahead and clear that up. <laughs> please don't, please don't like be outside of my door and whatnot looking for me. Um, but that was definitely a belief I had because I know my background, right? I know where I came from, and I know that background does not normally lead to success. Again, I'm not going to get into a full life story, but I know about my past, and given my present, I know that my past shouldn't lead to that point. So when I look at someone else right who has a similar past i'm like man you know i got here why couldn't you that's that was my thought process the unfortunate reality is that even with that um the distribution of opportunity for everyone doesn't exist i can i can easily point to spots in my life where it was a combination of sure maybe i'm qualified but also a lot of luck and a lot of other people who helped me get into certain places opportunities that i that i was presented based on things that i hadn't done nothing that i deserved nothing that i had earned just opportunity and another key key factor that was brought up for me one time was that america is one of the few places that judges um the 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 standard by the success of a few exceptions right we're we're the society who looks and says, wait a minute, what do you mean you couldn't get out of Marcy Projects? Jay-Z got out of Marcy Projects and became a billionaire. What's wrong with you? What do you mean the South Side of Chicago held you up? Look at Kanye and Common. They're doing just fine. What do you mean Compton is a problem? <laughs> NWA much? Like That's, that's right. what we do in American society. We point at the exceptions who right, are clearly clearly not not a indication of the whole and we say why couldn't you do it too and it took me a long time to like wrap my head around that and realize that and accept that and that it's crazy that our society does that it's because enlightenment runs on a bell curve right when you get a when you're when you're dumb i'm just gonna say when you're dumb when you're uh uh ignorant of facts when you get a little bit of knowledge you go man there's a wider world out there I, I, there's more to learn, right? I know I don't know a lot, right? When you get a, a medium amount of knowledge, you're like, man, I know a lot. <laughs> and then you get a lot more knowledge on top of that. You're like, uh, oh man, I know a lot, but I know, I just realized there's a, so much more out there that I don't know. And I feel like it's the same thing for people with opportunity who get out of, you know, get out of the hood, if you will. When they don't get out, they know now nah, I ain't get out because, you know, the world's against me. Not saying that it's untrue, but, you know, the world's against me. I had this thing happen, that thing happen, whatever, whatever. Uh, when they bear, you know, when they get out of smidge, they're like, hey, I got out because I, I got this job. I worked real hard. I was never late for three years. I worked every day, blah, blah, blah. And then you go further on, they're like, man, I got because I was lucky. Yeah. My mama yeah. did this. My yeah. grandma did that. I was I was very much at the beginning of that bell curve for for a very long time, uh, an amount of time that I am not not comfortable with sharing, but a very very long time I spent <laughs> on that part of the bell curve where it's just like, what what are you saying to me right now? Like I did this, I did that. You could have, hey, maybe you should have gone home and done your homework, son. 
maybe maybe instead of going out there after school to try to make it where one percent of all athletes make it to the professionals maybe you should have been focused on your academics and your studies dog what are you doing (laughs) with your life right now why didn't you apply for the ib program like everybody else did like Like everybody else did exactly you know what i'm saying it's it's that type of thing is that i'm so serious it was that type of idea because it's it's not like i had stellar jobs when i first started working right i had regular mediocre jobs like my first job out of college was not exceptional you know but so i said hey why can't why can't everybody else do that but even my first job out of college I got because I knew people. So right. it's it's just, it's a lot of that where it took me a long time to, to look back and reflect and start thinking and having conversations with other people who, who, had, you know, who had passed me on the bell curve, right. Who were, who were more enlightened, who were, who knew um, what I didn't know and were willing to share that and take that time with me and like hit me in the head. Like, Hey, what are you, what are you saying right now? What do you what do you mean that everyone should have this opportunity? How do you look at an American society right. and, and feel like just because you made it, everybody else can make it? Like, stop doing that. And I so, it, you know. Yeah. For for me, it was the numbers. It was okay. just straight up the numbers. Whenever uh, I was growing up, I looked around. And I was like, man, I am 12 years old. I got all this other. I got all this stuff because my parents. So it just so happened to be awesome. Ain't okay. got a damn thing I could do to have <laughs> taken away those things or earned those things. So, okay. Yeah, ain't got nothing to do with me. And so okay. when I turned around and 26 years old, 31 years old, yep, it turns out I, there's, yes, I have performed some things along the way, but, you know, and, you know, I do give credit to myself on some issues, but it's not, you know, the spectrum of outcomes that I'm sitting in is not because of my hard work and ingenuity or whatever the hell you want to call it. You know, it's just, it's a product of the equation. And when I look out, it's, it's just like a obesity, you know, you look out in the world and you go, okay, well, how many people who are obese become unobese? A low number. That motherfucking shit must be hard. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's yeah. just, you know, yeah. I, I feel that a hundred percent. And, and that's one of the things that, that it, like I said, it took me a long time with even, even given those opportunities right even if we say that there's a lot of opportunity presented one of the big things that we have to focus on is is numbers and statistics a lot of times when opportunity is shared like okay we both went to state 21 state 21 i don't know how many of y'all know how many of you have ever applied to this in their lives but they require you to send in a photograph with your application that to me is mind boggling that a, a military program that is supposed to be based on my job performance, my intellectual capacity, your, your belief at whether or not you think I can successfully ascertain this degree. You need a picture of me. Like, why do you need a picture of me in uniform for that? I just had a conversation uh, in the office the other day. Um, I'm not going to go into details about my role and job right now, but uh, uh, suffice to say that um discussing things like that comes up uh sometimes you know talking i don't about what i'm and, and there could be some higher level thing that maybe i just don't get but to me to me just just on the outset it's very easy to start looking at those pictures and being like nah and and, there, <laughs> and, and that exists you know people uh will adamantly tell you that like you know leadership for example is one of those qualities that is very hard to measure and sometimes you just got to go with your gut and when you look someone in the eye, you can tell, hey, that's a leader, right? Um, and that's a, I think that's a very uh, pervasive and, and it's a good argument if you think about it in your time as like, think about you being in the classroom. That first day a teacher walk in and look at the class, you look at that teacher and you're like, hmm, that's a good teacher. Mm, oh man, that's going to be a bad teacher. Like you make infer- you know, inferences uh, about them. And it, sure, you, I, I think there's a little bit of validity there, but at the same time, and the Navy has been going back and forth with this. And so has a lot of institutions, you know, we know that you give the opportunity for unbiased, you know, biased, implicit bias to come in, in its shell. And that's, that's kind of why the Navy, you know, the Navy has been going back and forth with that policy among others uh, along those lines. I I think we also, I think we also have to talk about the difference in potential right and desire Mm. i will i 
I will go on a million records to say that everybody with the potential to lead, everybody with the potential to be great, everybody with the potential to whatever you want to throw in afterwards does not have the desire to do so. And I am, I I can look, I don't even have to look any further than myself to say that there are plenty of things that I could probably do that I should, right? And I don't even like that word for it. Should probably do, but could probably do. I have zero desire to do them. My life right now is rather comfortable. It doesn't require a great deal of effort. And it's, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, to do the things that I could do would require effort and work and, and all sorts of other things that I have zero interest in doing. So right now, the, my level of potential and my level of uh, what has been actualized are very different because I, I don't want to put, I'm existing as an electron right now at the lowest energy state possible. So, <laughs> And, and that's know. what, uh, I guess the, when I, when I zoom back out, you know, to our beginning of the conversation, I think that's what the value of culture is because individually uh, and like in your family unit, professionally, these are all like things that kind of guide who you are and things like that. Right. But on a wider level, culture influences the values we all have and what we're okay with making our life out to be, you know, and, and I think that, if we were to leverage culture as a force and and in this country, we don't, you know, we don't have, uh, if you like in my mind, I would think that there will be people somewhere who would sit down and think about, you know, Hey, what's the trends that this society is on and how do we, you know, push them in the quote, right direction, whatever that right means. Uh, and, and they would actually have the levers in various places to do it. Hey, Hey, I'm the dean of this is this college, and it looks like the entering GPA for our freshman classes is going down a little bit, or SAT scores is going down a little bit. How about we, uh, you know, get get some new uh, math programs in our university for the for high school sophomores to come over and, and get better stuff like that. Yeah, but like when I, you, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> when you zoom out and you start looking at the world, you see people don't do that. There's not institutions out there who are like, hey, you know, the number of, uh, uh, you know, infidelities are going through the roof right now. You know, maybe we should, uh, you know, pull the lever that, to, well, I don't know what lever that would be, but, <laughs> you know, pull the lever to, to adjust that, you know, or single parenthood is, is going down or up or whatever. Let's, you know, like you would think that these things existed, but they don't. Yeah. And, and, um, and, uh, and I think that's, I think it's a, uh... It's a matter for me of the futility of the effort. So when I when I look out at America, um, I right I love it right I love my country. There's no there's no question of that. There's not a single point where I'm saying I don't love this country. I don't love everything it does. I don't always love the way it treats me. It's very Stockholm at times where I know it's not what's best for me. But you know like. Sometimes I just think, where else am I go? Like for real, where where am I going? Like <laughs> you know, just like where where am I going? So I'm just I'm just kind of here, but at the same time, there's a there's a certain amount of effort that I'm willing to put in where I I start weighing where I can put my effort. All right, I've got a family, right? I have my own personal goals for you know professionally, right? I have I have things that I want to do with my life, and when I look at the amount of effort that I can put into a country of, of 330, 340 million people and, and try to get them to all realize one day that we are all equal and we should all be treated as such or focus on my family and my group and my family institution and ensuring that my siblings or my kids or my parents or nieces and nephews or anything like that, my friends are are getting the best they can out of life and helping them in whatever way that I can with that. Like that's where I'm looking at my effort. And that's why I say I exist at that low energy level because I could put those same efforts into trying to run into politics and, and create a name and, and influence this, or I can just try to make those people I have influence over, try to make their lives as good as I can, you know? And I just, 
it feels it feels like a futile effort to fight back against the system in that way. And for me, the best effort I can think of is if I raise those, if I teach those around me and I help those around me, then that that small circle where it was just me thinking about the issues is now. I don't know, five people thinking about the issues. And if each of those five is teaching those around them, right? So for me, that's that's a, a better way to expend my effort than trying to influence 340 million people at once. Yeah, and I, and I that's a extremely valid, you know, position. And I think for 99.9% of people, that's that's the right the right answer. And then professionally speaking, you know, that's where you have institutions come in, always circling back to institutions. Always. Always. Uh, <laughs> that's where you have institutions come in where people's nine to five is is leveraging the resources of large groups of people to, you know, point history in the right direction, you know, and they, and they can still do that thing that 99.9% of Americans want to do. You know, it's, hey, take care of my kids. I want to go play soccer on the weekends and, and watch football on Sunday and this and that. Uh, but what do you do on, uh, you know, what do you do Monday through Friday? Well, I, 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 work, I work for a think tank that, uh, you know, feeds legislation to state legislators about uh, equality movements. Or I, I work, uh, you know, I work as a promoter for NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers, and I uh, get new recruits so that we can uh, make sure that engineering and minority groups, specifically the black minority groups are, is a highly sought after, you know, major, like those right. are, that's we, the, we created the Georgia LaForge scholarship for, for Nesby. Yep. So you just, you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the level of unrealistic excitement that, that, that you just, you know, prompted in me just now was just, I had to stop uh, talking for a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, all right. As a just to just to circle back around everything, right? Obviously, this conversation. Um, this was this was one of the more one of the less scripted ones. Uh, just yes. a, a yes. small preview into why we started this podcast. These are the kind of kind of conversations we were having on a regular basis, um, but without time limit, where we just end up starting on one thing and tackling something completely unrelated by the time we're we're done with the conversation. Um, obviously, we hope that you were able to pull pull something from it. I know that we we hit a lot of different points and a, and a lot of different topics, but the essential the essential point we're trying to pull through in the whole thing is that um if if we can create a society where everything is equal um there are going to be changes and we don't want we don't want people to resist that equality for fear of the changes that are going to come there are certainly going to be some things that are left behind um from this society like 2012 right there are going to be some things that exist only in memory right um and uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna see this 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 old society, these remnants of the old society, and maybe you'll have some nostalgia about how it was. Maybe you won't. I don't know. But we can't be afraid to leave that stuff behind. There are certain things that just they're not gonna come with us, and we gotta accept that. Unfortunately, there are certain people that are not gonna come with us. I might be one of those people, right? It's it's difficult to imagine a society where I wake up and um, I'm not being judged based on the color of my skin. So there are certain people that might not come with us. But for the benefit of those who come after us, for the benefit of the legacy of America, for the benefit of the legacy of equality, we have to be willing to make those sacrifices. Lawrence, what about you, man? Yeah, I'll close it out with just a quick story. I went to uh, North Carolina Central University versus North Carolina A&T, HBCU's first football game of the season for North Carolina A&T. It was a home game. Did some tailgating out there. Saw the cues stepping. Uh, watched the Battle of the Bands style, you know, halftime show. Just loving the culture. And when I think of it, when I kind of reflect on that, if you take away the pressure of the external, you know, inequality and all that kind of stuff, I don't know if I go. Hmm. Cause I went out there to support and I went out there to, you know, appreciate and all that kind of stuff. I went to HBCUs. Mm -hmm. You take away the 
the reason to have HBCUs as a safe space. Right. That wasn't really a good football game. <laughs> it was bad. Okay. Band was good. Right. You know, but I might watch that on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it. I guess it. I guess it comes down to what we're willing to sacrifice for equality. How important is equality? And that's what I think. That's the question we all we all have to ask ourselves. How much are we willing to to sacrifice, both as individuals and as a culture, in order to see equality come into existence? Is is Jay Z having fifteen number one albums in a row more important than equality? And I'm I'm not saying that to be facetious, right? Everyone has a different label of what's important for you listening to that music or looking forward to something like that coming out like rap music and and rihanna's you know fenty fashion show right those things that are inherently part of our part of that black culture that we've created as a people those can be the things that get you through the day through the week through the year right and i can't tell you how important those things are so you have to gauge for yourself what you're willing to to lose because we're gonna lose something society is going to lose something to create equality and so we have to figure out what we're willing to lose to create that mm, so, get close yeah man um as always this has been ingenious perspectives um keep expanding your paradigms and we'll see you next time